0: A reading today, you've already heard a little bit of the story, is from John's Gospel, from chapter 4. And it goes like this. So Jesus had left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired out by his journey was sitting by the well and it was about noon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her give me a drink his disciples had gone to the city to buy food and the Samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a Jew ask a drink of me a woman of Samaria for Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So water is the elixir and source of life. It covers more than 70% of the earth's surface, makes up nearly 70% of our bodies, constitutes over 70% of our hearts and brains. There is a deep biological connection to water that has been shown to trigger an immediate response in our brains when we're near water. In fact, the mere sight and sound of water can induce a flood of neurochemicals that promote wellness and increase blood flow to the brain and heart and induce relaxation. Thanks to science, we're now able to connect the dots to the full range of emotional benefits of being on, in, or near the water. That was all quoting Wallace Nichols, a marine biologist and author of a book called Blue Mind. So how many people here have already been on the water this summer? Yeah, your time's running short. If you wanna go, you have to go now. So what's your reason for choosing to go there? Why a place with a body of water? Do you agree with Wallace Nichols that there's something both physically and emotionally restorative about seeking out water vistas? So go there for a moment. I invite you to go there for a moment and picture your favorite waterside place. What kinds of thoughts and feelings do those vistas bring you? Calm, relaxation, ease, a sense of being sort of renewed, fresh, and clean, alive. Well, in scripture, a lot of ministry happens in these waterside places. And I say a lot, a lot. (laughs) They're not just physically and emotionally restorative, but spiritually refreshing as well. It's in these places where God gives the gift of what both the Old and New Testaments call living water. And as I have you visualizing your favorite watering holes, I bet you are already feeling that tug, right, that longing to be there. Like, let's just sneak out early and go to that place. There is a ministry, right? There is a ministry to the river currents and the ocean waves and the lake ripples, But what is it? And what drives us there? Well, before we can find water and find that meaning, we have to go to a place without. And in scripture, that place is the desert. And of course, the desert story of desert stories is the great exodus. And the story goes like this right out of the frying pan into the fire. The Israelites escape across the parted Red Sea to the Sinai Peninsula thinking we're saved. We've escaped our slave masters. We've escaped the days of toil and hardship and scarcity only to find themselves in a desert. And for a while, you know, for a while they don't mind. Well, we'll we'll just make a straight beeline for the other side. We'll cross the desert, we'll be home free. But that's not what happened. What did happen? Well, people happened. I mean it didn't take long for the first person to get tired of the sand you know how it is sand gets into everything sand in your hair sand in your clothes Sand in your eyes and your mouth and in your food and your snacks and they started grumbling and it was hot sun and more sun and then they got lost they said wait a second those are our footprints again we've just gone in a big circle there are few landmarks in the desert to navigate by and then being people they started casting blame and pointing fingers right whose fault is it that we're hot and tired and impatient and lost in the desert Moses what are you doing to us who put you in charge anyway God well actually (laughs) and now the final insult right they run out of water they run out of water in the desert Scripture says they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Thirst, right? The people are thirsty. And it's not just for H2O. Everything has dried up. Hope has dried up. Joy and laughter have dried up. The bonds of community have dried up. Their patience has certainly dried up. Their spiritual reserves have dried up. Faith has dried up. Some leadership this God of ours is showing, right? Stranding us here. What kind of rescue mission is this? The desert is spiritually dry and the people are soul thirsty. Are you soul thirsty? As the psalmist says, wandering in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That desert can be many things. It can be the feeling that key needs are out of reach, needs like love and affection or a true friend the desert can be the experience of hanging on to an unconfessed sin and blaming others for it. The desert can be a loss of a sense of wonder and awe at God, and the loss of identity. Who am I? The desert can be a period of endless work with no rest, or it can be rest but without Sabbath. It can be work without a sense of purpose or a defined goal. The desert can be COVID through the experience of a medically vulnerable person. It can be caregiving without the reward of recovery. What makes your desert arid? At Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman inadvertently identified the source of Jesus' yet unquenched thirst. She says, well, the problem is you have no bucket, and the well is deep. That's a pretty big problem to have. The desert problem here is not just that the glass is empty, it's that there is no glass at all. No bucket, no bucket, no way of drawing water. And Mother Teresa wrote about this experience. She wrote one in her journals that, you know, we have uncovered. And when I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such a convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Love, the word, it brings nothing. I am told God lives in me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Deserts are a fact of life even for such a saint. But, but deserts hold life-giving secrets, too. I promise they do. Oases, springs of water that turn the desert green and lush and provide shade and shelter and quench thirst. The word of God through the prophet Isaiah testifies, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and... Rivers in the desert. So the Lord said to Moses and those complaining people, go on ahead of them and take some of the elders with you and your staff. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And so Moses did so. Wet, cool, clean, fresh water. God creates an oasis in the desert. What is this oasis? It's more than water for the body. This water brought the community back together again. It gave them something to congregate around and share, brought people back to themselves. It was a sacrament of sorts, too. It was a sign of God's grace and love for them, which they desperately needed evidence of. It was a signpost pointing to the presence of God in a place that often felt godless. Water was care and nurture and life. It was ease and hope and comfort. It was the spark for renewed relationship, the people with each other and the people with God. Friends, on any given Sunday, we worship to join the people of God in drinking of the living water. God is an oasis in the desert of life, and it is here that we stumble upon wells of hope and love and grace. God pours God's out to minister to all of us parched pilgrims. Ezekiel questioned, can these dried-up old bones live? And God's answer is resounding, yes, yes. Now at Jacob's well, Jesus meets a woman who is just weary of schlepping water. As soon as her bucket is empty, someone is thirsty again, and off she goes to fetch more. The water is never enough, it's just never enough to satisfy. The heat and the desert encroaches, and she can barely hold it at bay. Jesus sees the weariness in her soul, the days filled with thankless tasks, the lack of care and appreciation, the pointlessness of working so hard for nothing to change. And Jesus suggests that there is a source of water that will keep her going not for an hour or a day or a week, but into eternity. A source she doesn't have to schlep buckets to tap into. Jesus has access to living water, to a source from which all blessings flow, to a source that satisfies that soul thirst. The woman eagerly asks after it because that offer hits home. She's like, yes, that's exactly, that is exactly what I need. Is that what you need too? Jesus said, the water I will give will become a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. In Jesus Christ, we face an oasis. Do you care to drink, to drink deeply and be satisfied? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.